This message is brought to you by this excellent church. We excel at reshaping people's values and reconciling men to God. You're about to hear peace and preach. Be blessed. Okay, so I have a very interesting thought to... I have some very interesting things to say concerning God's word today. And uh, it's something that I cannot break. We cannot break it into two parts because it's a, it's a single logic. It is, if this is not true, then this is true. So it's important to establish, um, you know, the two sides of it. So, you know, please, I want to really pay attention. But trusting God that God will, you know, help me to be able to explain God's word in the most popular way possible. Because I've been accused that if, if someone did not go to school and they come to our church, they will not understand what is being said. Hallelujah. So, you know, I just pray for God's help. Hallelujah. So, Job chapter 22. Job chapter 22. Briefly, let me remind you of what we talked about last week. So, last Sunday, I tried to explain and tried to put in perspective the different, um, the reason why teaching and understanding God's perspective towards wealth is very important for the believers. And, you know, I also tried to explain and define the four levels or four levels of things that we see in God's word as the different uh, material situations that a person can be in. Hallelujah. That believers can be in. I will try to define the four of them from scripture. And I want to quickly, briefly recap that. But just to say again that the understanding of this matter is very important. The, the understanding of this issue is very important because if it goes wrong either way, if it goes wrong either way, it can be a huge problem. And like I tried to explain last week that, you know, the poor understanding of this thing is one of the reasons why the church in Nigeria has not been a salt, has not been the salt, they've not been the light as they should. We are too many in this country. We are too influential in this country. We are true part of the process. We are in the government. We are everywhere. This is actually a paradise compared to what most Christians have suffered in church history. This is actually like the dream. This is what Eusebius was gushing about after like th- over 300 years of constant persecution in the church. Finally, Constantine made Christianity to be a licit religion. They were not even in power. He just made it a licit religion and was writing... And he was so effusive and he was, um, you know, constantly just, he was just praising and praising and praising and talking about all the great things, you know, that God has done by making it possible for Christianity to be a illicit religion and that God's power is at work and everything. So what we are enjoying now is actually, is like the dream for many Christians. Yet, how is it possible that, you know, Christianity can be so influential in the country and yet our country has so many issues? How can we be so corrupt when we are so many? If we are living as we should, this country shouldn't be as corrupt as it is. Hallelujah. We have not shaped our culture. We have not. You know, know one of the things about Christianity, one of the messages I preach on is this, is that, you know, Christianity is supposed to be weird. We're supposed to have a clear position, a clear behavior that is very different from the world, that when the world looks at us, they either join us or they feel bad. We're We're supposed to be shaping our culture. We're supposed to be influencing our culture. But we now have a situation whereby you will even see sometimes that you think of unbelievers as even behaving seemingly more ethically than people that call themselves Christians. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
All these things are the issues. Our behavior towards money cannot be the same as the world's behavior towards money. That is why Nigeria is the way it is. So we have to understand it well. And the Lord will help us in the name of Jesus. So I explained four things. I said what it means to be poor and what it means to be rich is strictly a comparative term. Hallelujah. It's strictly relative. It's strictly a comparative term. That means when you compare two people and their different socioeconomic status, if one has more than the other, you say that one is rich and the one that does not have is poor. You cannot objectively say that anybody is rich in every situation. And you cannot say somebody is poor in every situation. What you will call poor because the person has um, the person has 10 goats or 15 goats or 20 goats and you, you are in Lagos, you are a medical doctor and you are working. When you go to that village, they, you will say compared to you, that person is what? Poor. But guess what? If you go to all these villages in the in, if you go to all these villages in the hinterland and you go to all these towns and everything, among themselves, they consider some people rich and poor. The people that have bigger huts with 20 goats are the rich people. The ones that have small huts with one chicken are poor. Do you understand? Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Uh-huh. If you're in a village where everybody has chicken, the person that has 20 chickens is rich. The one that does not have chicken is what? Poor. But you cannot come to Lagos and say, I have 20 chickens, I'm rich. You understand? You can't say that. You know, I remember when I was in school once, there was a, there was a lady whose dad was a rich, very rich allergy. She was a friend of ours. She was in church. Then she got saved and everything. So her father was a very rich Muslim man and everything. I remember once that she was saying that she was broke. I'm talking about then when the largest money my parents ever sent me was 5,000 naira or something like that. Talking about then. She said she was broke. She said she's very broke. That was a... She only has like 150k in her account. She's very broken. <laughs> say, hey, God. God. You understand? You know the way we talk, they say, God, why? God, when? And I'm not joking. She genuinely felt the emotional and psychological suffering of someone who does not have money. Psychologically, in her mind, she was suffering because she had only 150k then as a student. How much do you have now? <laughs> do you understand that that's why all these rich, rich politicians all these Nigerian politicians and everything they will keep stealing and stealing and stealing and stealing and stealing because them to live a life there are some people that actually see it as a very bad time in their lives for them to have to go and fly economy do you know that like they are in, their, in their mind they are having a tough time God take me out of this wilderness God, take me out of this wilderness, Lord. That they are praying seriously that we're having a tough time because we are flying economy. Meanwhile, some people, the first day they enter plane, it will be on Instagram. And the person will feel the genuine joy as if his life is better. So being rich and poor is purely a relative thing, is a comparative thing. And I want that definition to sink into your mind because it's very important. Because so that I'm going for, forward, you don't confuse yourself when I'm talking. And I'm speaking clearly and you understand exactly what I mean. Church, are we together? Then there is destitution, which is the position that is recognized both in the world and in the scriptures. That is the situation where a person does not have food, clothing, or shelter. And even the Lord recognized it, even in the law and the prophets will recognize it. Elijah understood destitution as a prophet. He lived a life of destitution for the sake of the world, work that God called him. And even then, do you know what God did? God will supernaturally provide food. God will supernaturally provide clothes. God will supernaturally provide shelter for him. Many times when people use all these examples, 
Again, I used to say, many of people that have said many things that are wrong in the past, many of them are genuinely good people. They are genuinely good people. It's just poor training in handling God's word. Many times people use Elijah's story as a testimony and say, the same way God provided for Elijah, God can provide for me. You don't want that. You really don't know what you're saying. Because I'm talking about someone that did not even know where tomorrow's food was coming from. And God was sending birds to go and bring peace meals for him. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you, you are thinking that God should supernaturally provide, the kind of provision that God did for Elijah is not what you are imagining. You, you are thinking that God will supernaturally provide um, you know, a contract so that you can start traveling abroad and all that. No, if you want to, this, the kind of provision that we're talking about that God did for Elijah is the one where he did not have food to eat and God sent animals to give him food. The water that he was living by died and dried up because of the farming that God used him to proclaim. Do you understand that? And God now to tell him that the river has dried up. God did not say the river should start flowing because his word has gone ahead and said there will be no what? Rain. God has said there will be no rain. So the river dried up. God did not tell the river to what? So you know how God supplied for him? God sent him to somebody's house. That person too was quartered to destitute. Food was about to finish. They were about to die. And God supernaturally multiplied the food that they were eating. So we are saying that God should provide for me like Jeremiah. I was talking about the fire. And the Bible says that once they had no more containers, it stopped. That means that once they had enough food to eat, the provision stopped. So that's the reason why you've been praying that God provide for me for Elijah. God bring that contract like Elijah and it seems to not be coming. Because what you are asking for is not what the Bible, is not what is in the Bible. God has provided for you like Elijah already. Do you understand that? Do you understand what I'm saying here? So there's destitution. And what happened to Elijah is actually an echo or is a shadow of what Jesus was saying in Luke chapter 12. We shall look at it because Luke chapter 12 is actually Jesus' treatise on the material position. It's complex, concentrated. By the time you unravel it, it's like a six-part series. That Luke chapter 12. And we're going to come to it. You know? But that's what Jesus was talking about. That see, if God can take care of lilies of the valley, if God can take care of ravens, he will take care of you. So if God can take care of Elijah, that he sent message to go and do things. And God was making water and ravens and, you know, destitute women and widows to take care of him, then God will definitely take care of you. So that means that even in God's plan, even when God sends you a message, he will not leave you destitute. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Do you understand the English I'm speaking? Right? When God sends you a message, he will not leave you destitute. So destitution, objectively, is a place, is a material situation that both the scripture and in reality we recognize. Hallelujah. Then there's something called well-being, and that's where I'm going to start from today. I talked about it last week and I'm going to elaborate on it now. There's something called well-being. It's called the good. In the Old Testament, when it's translated to English, you see it over and over as prosperity. And God prospered him. And God prospered him. Um, you know, if you meditate on God's word, he will prosper your way. And all those kinds of things. Let's look at Luke, um, Job chapter 22, where we're starting from. Job chapter 22, from verse 21. Submit to God and be at peace with him. This way, prosperity will come to you. That word, actually that word prosperity. He says, submit to God and be at peace and prosperity will come to you. Accept instruction from his mouth and lay up his words in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. If you remove wickedness far from your tent and assign your nuggets to the dust, your gold of offer to the rocks of the ravines. What a ravine is, a ravine is a valley, is a pit, like a dry, a dry, the dry um, space between two uh, mountains, two rocky places. So he's saying you should Throw your nuggets to the dust, like consider your gold like dust. That means throw it away, literally. And the gold of offering to the rocks in the ravines. We talked about the you know issues in the translation for the KJV, right? To the NIV. So if you see the newer translation, ESV, CSB, you all see um, you know a better translation. Now what so you know it's even incoherent. 
when the person talking to you is telling you, let God be your good, throw away all the things you have. He's telling you, let God be your good. Come back to God. Fill up his word in your heart. He will now tell you, pack up good, pack up good, but let God be your good. You know, you will have already known that something is wrong if you are paying attention. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? You know, if you are paying attention, you see someone telling somebody that the reason why you are sick, the reason why all your children have died, the reason why you are now poor and Satan has taken all your things is because you are a bad person. You are oppressing the poor. You were not thinking of God. If you read the beginning of chapter, chapter 22, if I forgot, if you read the whole book of Job, that's what it's about. It was basically his three friends blaming him for how his life turned out. And that's why God was upset with them because they were preaching legalism. And that's actually the real problem with this conversation. Let me just take it easy. So, you know, if you are paying attention, you'll have already known that the person that is telling you that it's because you were putting together money for yourself that God has punished you. The person should now tell you again that you should put money together for yourself so that God can bless you. You, know, it's, it's, you already know something is off. Do you understand that? So when you look at it properly, the proper translation actually says that it, should, that it was, he had, was advising Job that, see Job, the reason why all these things happening to you is because you've been putting together money and not giving it to the poor. You're not working like a good person. What you should do is that you should throw away your gold, give it out, throw away your silver, and let God be your gold. Look at verse 25. Then the Almighty will be your gold and the choicest silver for you. Surely then you will find delight in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. So he's saying, remove your, heart, your eyes from your material things. This was his advice to Job. Remove your eyes from your material things. Remove your eyes from your things and let God be your focus. Let God's word fill up your heart. Let your face be towards God. Verse 27, that's when you will pray to him and he will hear you and you will fulfill your vows. What you decide on will be done and light will shine on your ways. When people are brought low, you will say, lift them up. Then he will save the downcast. So that means that, you know, so you will help people that are poor. You know, this scripture was also used. They're not good there. Verse 30, he will deliver um, every, even one who is not innocent, who will be delivered through the cleanness of your hands. So let God use you to deliver people. Let God be your focus. Then God will hear your prayers. Then God will deliver you from your calamity. When chapter 42, God said no. You guys did not do well. You guys assumed that bad things happened to him because he's a bad person. But your accusation was false. Bad things happened to him to bring glory to my name. It's not because he's a bad person. And so that's actually the real problem with this chapter, right? Is that even if you interpret it properly, there's still an issue. The issue is that if you follow Eliphaz's advice, you will think that if you are not a good person, God cannot be good to you. Do you understand that? If you make mistakes, God cannot be good to you. If you make errors, God cannot be good to you. Church out together. Do you understand that chapter now? But if we go back to verse 21, it says, Submit to God and be at peace with him. In this way, prosperity will come to you. That word prosperity, there is the word taub, taub, like I said last week. And it's a word that is used to describe something good. When things are going in a good way. When things are going in a way that in the sight of God, God considers good. If you open, if you look at Genesis chapter 1. Open Genesis chapter 1. Let's quickly look at it. Genesis chapter 1. Look at verse, verse 4. It says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw, verse, sorry, verse 4, God saw that light was good, and it separated light from the darkness. That word good there is what? Taub. That's the word prosperity. 
God saw that he prospered. God saw that it was good. That means that God saw that this thing made sense. It was fulfilling the purpose of it. He's talking about, he's talking about a certain quality of affairs. He's talking about a certain quality of affairs. Look at verse 10. It's the same word good. If you go to verse 10, every time God said and God looked at it and said it was good in chapter 1 to chapter 2, it was that good was talking about that same word. For another angle to look at, for another way, another example of where it was used, look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 18. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 18. He says, Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight, so that it may go well with you. And you may go and take over the good land that the Lord promised an oath to your ancestors. That good there is the same towel. So it's not talking about, um, you know, a, any amount of money. It's not even talking about any socioeconomic class. It's talking about a certain quality of life where God is pleased with the person. Where the person has a, a quality of life that God is pleased with. Church all together. So when you see the word prosperity, they say, and let you know, and, let, and good will come to you, and you will prosper. If you see it in other translation, it will say, um, it will, if you use other translation, it will, it said, it will say, few, when Eliphaz was speaking, he was saying, you know, um, um, return to the Lord, and that good may come to you. He's talking about God's disposition. And if you say, let prosperity come to you, he's talking about that God's good disposition. When something is considered good in the sight of God. When something is considered to be going well in the sight of God. So the word prosperity, there is never the amount of money. This is one of the things I'm going to come to it. Let me convince you first so that when I say it, you will not say like I see if I'm jumping ahead of myself. Church, I together. So that is one way that the word prosperity is used in the Old Testament. That's taub, good, which is not about the amount of money that a person has, but about the quality of life that the person is having, that a person has, you know, in, with respect to how God sees the person. Do you understand that? Church out together. All the things I'm saying is for you to write down and check for yourself in case I'm whining you. It's important you write it down and check for yourself. Another way that the word prosperity is used is like in Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. Another word that prosperity is often used is look at Joshua 1 verse 8. Keep this book of the law always on your lips, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it, then you will be prosperous and successful. The word prosperous there is the word tzolak. A Jewish word tzolak. And what it means is to break forth. To break forth. Which is in picture kind of like to make progress. It means to break forth. To break forth. To prosper. To, 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 to do well, to go forward. Hallelujah. Praise, praise God. To go forward, to prosper, to do well. And this word is also used to, de, to, de, to um, describe a quality of affairs, a quality of things, not the amount of money a person has. When you look through the Old Testament, every time that this word is used, it was used both for rich people and poor people, and it was even used for matters that don't have to do with money. So when a person breaks forth, when a person has a break forth, when a person makes progress, you say the person has prospered. It was never used to describe an, a, a position, a socioeconomic situation. It was always used to, to talk about a person's quality of affairs. Do you understand that? Let's look at a couple of examples. Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24, verse 40. In this chapter, this um, word was used many times, but I'll just use one of the examples. 
So when um, Abraham sent his servants to go and get a wife for Isaac, this is what the guy said. He replied, the Lord before whom I have walked faithfully, that's Abraham speaking now, the Lord before whom I have walked faithfully will send his angel with you and make your journey a success or prosper your journey so that you can get a wife for my son, for my own clan and for my father's family. So it was not about money. He was saying that the quality of your journey will be what? Successful. Do you understand that? That you will make progress. That you will break forth. So it was not even about money. It was talking about the quality of the guy's pursuits. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Do you understand what I'm saying here? Mm -hmm. Look at Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. In verse 2, it was described. Look at what it says. They said, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. So Joseph was a slave. He was someone's property. He didn't have any money of his own. I want you to understand what it means to be a slave in Egypt. You yourself are a property. You don't have any property. Because there's a way that has painted where you now think that, ah, Joseph was the head of all the servants in the house, so he was the big boy, so he was walking about and everything. You guys need to, you understand, you need to understand what's going on there, right? That's an anachronistic reading. It is not as if he was the big boy in the house and all that. He was his master's property. That's why they can behead him without any court of trial and no appeal. The wife would just say, he tried to rape me. There's no question. You are somebody's property. Just kill him. But you know I like him. It was a very, very nice pet. So let me just put him in prison instead. Yet, the writer of Genesis says he was prospered. So a slave prospered. He didn't have any money. He was even someone's property. But he was prospered. Why? The quality of his affairs, the quality of life that he was living in his pursuit as a slave was considered prosperous because he was doing the will of God. He was living a quality of life from God's perspective that was fulfilling God's plan. He was, the quality of his conduct was in a certain way. And even the people that was his master praised him for it and they trusted him with more. It's not because he was a big man. He was someone's property himself. So even a slave can what? Prosper. Look at Numbers chapter 14. Verse 41. This was after they had told the slaves to go and spy the land. The slaves, um, the master said the slaves. The spies came back and told them that they were giants and all that. And we know about what Joshua and Caleb's report was different. And the people started climbing and say, Ah, Moses, you brought us here to kill us. And then... Moses now, God now got angry and now said, I'm going to finish these people. Moses now prayed. And God now said, I've heard your intercession. No. But these ones that have stone head, they cannot enter the land of Canaan. Those people were now feeling bad. They were now feeling bad. After God has done everything, Moses has talked to them and told them what God would do. They now said, ah, we will go by ourselves then. You know that kind of thing now? You know that kind of drama? Where you say something to your parents. And your parents now correct you. And they now say, you know what, they don't worry. Oh, do you know, you see husband and wife. They now say, ah, um, I don't want to use any real example so that they will not say, ah, thoughts happens past the Sam's house. You know, you say, eh, you didn't do this for me. You say, okay, I did it. You know what? I'm now going to do it. I'm going to do it very well. You know that kind of thing. And I say, no, don't even bother. You had your chance. You didn't do it well. You understand what I'm saying, right? Eh. So that's what's happening here. Right in verse 41, they now said that, no, verse 40, we now say that they now said, well, let's go. Early the next morning, look at verse 40. Early the next morning, they set out for the highest point of the country, saying, now we are ready to go to the land that the Lord promised. Surely we have sinned. You are now feeling bad. Moses now said, but, but Moses said, why are you disobeying the Lord's command? This will not succeed. This will not prosper. That's what he was talking about. So here, prosperity is not about money. It's about winning 
the, the word that they wanted to go about. Do you understand that? They were in the desert, when in the wilderness, and they wanted to go in, and Moses was telling them that if they go, they will not win the battle, so they will not what, prosper. Church, out together. Let me give you one, one that is even very interesting, so I can truly understand what this word prosperity truly means. Judges chapter 14. Now, this is the story of Samson. And do you know something very interesting that God did in the law and the prophets is that he gave us various examples of different things so that they can all be learnings to us. There is no kind of human condition that you think would be better for fully fulfilling God's purpose outside of Christ that God did not give an example of what it would look like in real life if you give it to human beings. You know, people think that uh, maybe it is physical strength that can save man. God gave someone supernatural human strength. God made a literal superhero so that you can see how superheroes will end in real life. If Superman was real. Hmm? If Superman was real in real life. You see that thing? You know Superman that used to show on TV? You know he's a Christian. He's saved. He's saved. They don't know. You see, they're, they're Christian. They don't know. So that Superman is saved. You have that kind of person in real life in this world. <laughs> hey. Hey, let me just continue. Look at Judges chapter 14, verse 19. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. That word came powerfully upon him. He is prospered him. And he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 of their men and stripped them and burning anger, he turned to the father home. When he says the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, is actually that word, Talak. It is the Spirit of the Lord prospered him. So when God gives you supernatural power, it is what? Prosperity. Do you understand? To show that it was not a fluke, the writer actually used the same words again in chapter 15, verse 14. <clears throat> Check all these things, all right? Check all these things. As he approached, chapter 15, verse 14, as he approached Lehi, or Lehi, the, the Philistines came towards him shouting, shouting, and the spirit of the Lord came powerful upon him. It's that same word. So when Moses, when Joshua was telling them, this book of God shall not depart out of your mouth, but that shall make it on it day and night. If you do so, you will make your way prosperous. That's, you see, he was doing that for something. He was making his way what? prosperous <laughs> so it seems like as if when we now look at everything you know what let's go to the new testament third john chapter two third john chapter third john verse two dear friend i pray that you may enjoy good health and all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. The KJV says that you may enjoy good health and prosper even as your soul prospers. That's go well with you. Is the word is the Greek word you do, prosper. For things to go well with you. So the apostles tell us what God wants to... You see, I'm describing the terms... Let me just go on. You understand now. So that what you do there is that things may go well with you. When Paul would talk, use the words... In, look at Romans chapter 1. When Paul will use the same words in the Greek, he will invite, Romans chapter 1 verse 10. He said, in my prayers at all times, I pray that now at last by God's will, we may be opened for me to come to you. That means that way word open them, that my way may be opened, that my way may prosper, that I may come to you. So that all may be well with you. That all may be well with you. That my way may be opened, that my journey may be prosperous. That is the same word he used in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Let's, let's read from verse 1. Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, 
each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income that in keeping with your income is according to how god has prospered you according to how you have prospered saving it up so that when i come no collections will have been made so paul is now saying here again Romans chapter 1 says my way will prosper here he now says again according to how god has prospered you according to how it is well with you according to how much you have so in the New Testament, the words that are translated as prospered in the New Testament, none of them have to do with a particular socioeconomic class. In the New Testament, the same thing we see in the Old Testament is that prosperity, the word trans- translated to prosperity, what, which means for it to be good with you, for it to have well-being, what it always has to do is with the quality of life. This one is particularly striking. This 1 Corinthians 16 is particularly striking. And it's the most poignant because I like it. It's the most catching. Now you catch me. Now you trip person pass. Let me use it like that. The one that trips person pass in all of them is they're like this one. According to how the Lord has prospered you. So the rich among them have what? Prospered. The poor among them have also what? Prospered. Irrespective of the socioeconomic um, um, standard or position. So when you look at the Old Testament to the New Testament, please check in case you think I'm whining you. Consistently, what you will see that God's disposition towards us, when God promises anything, when God looks at us and we talk and we see his intention towards us, over and over, when God looks at something and, or, or a man's situation, what God consistently calls good, well-being, prosperity, has nothing to do with how much the person has consistently from the old to the new 100% of situations what we see that it has to do with the quality of life that the person is living do you understand what I'm saying here so when Jesus now came and said in Luke chapter 12 that the life of a man is not in the abundance of things that he has you can see that he is consistent you can see that he is consistent so the life of Joseph was not in the fact that he was a slave because he had nothing The life of Samson was not even in the fact that he had strength because he didn't have any money. So when John says that I pray that all things will be well with you, he's not an advocate for you to have more money than other people. So that's why I say many of these guys are not bad people. They're just poor in handling God's word. Do you know why? The biggest mistake of the prosperity gospel was to equate prosperity, biblical well-being with being rich. That's where everything unraveled. Try again what I'm saying to you. You understand what I'm saying to you? Equating that quality of life, that well-being, with being rich, that means having more money than the people out around you. Being rich means having more money than people around you. It's not about being middle class. It's not about whether you are... It's about having more money than people around you. God is not bothered or concerned with making you have more money than other people. God is concerned with you fulfilling his purpose for your life. Do you understand what I'm saying there? So that's why you will notice something in the Old Testament to the New Testament. No single example. Go and check. I taught you guys this on the last Wednesday, Abby. No single example of anybody from the Old Testament to the New Testament that their plan in life or their pursuit in life was to be rich. Not one. Not one. Abraham's plan was never to be rich. It was God that came and said, I will give you money. His plan was to follow God wherever God sent him. 
you understand what I'm saying to you? <laughs> Even Solomon, his plan was not to be rich. His plan was to be a good king to God's chosen people. And God said, I will give you money. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, not one of the apostles, not one of the heroes of faith that you will see, not Isaiah, not Jeremiah, not Jonah, not Micah, not, none of them, not Daniel, not Joseph, none of them was their plan to be rich. All of them were following God's plan for their life. And the amount of money they had while pursuing God's plan for their life was different depending on where God sent them to. Do you understand this thing I just said now? So their socioeconomic status is not, was not the purpose of God for their life. Their purpose, the purpose of God for their life was what God wanted them to do. The socioeconomic status that came, whether rich or poor, was the result of following what God's plan was for their life. So that's why even in the New Testament, you have Philemon that was rich. But you see Paul will also be Paul, the apostles will be poor. In fact, another thing is that even whether you are rich or poor, in following God's plan for your life, is based on what is happening at that time. So it can be cyclical. So Paul will tell you, I have times when I abase. I abase. And I have times when I what? Abound. Church out together. By contrast, let me show you what the New Testament position on riches. You know we've talked about well-being. Well-being. I don't want to use the word prosperity on purpose because that word has baggage. You know what puts pictures in your mind? Do you understand that? What puts pictures in your mind? To be honest now, to be honest, even though I've just preached it to you now, now, if I tell you prosperity, what do you picture in your mind? You picture Jeep, don't lie. You picture private jet, don't lie. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Because words, because of the way they've been used over time, they begin to carry certain pictures with them. So when they are spoken to people, it is that's why they say words are like spirits, right? They carry those pictures and put it in your mind. So there's no way I say God's will is for you to prosper. That I know the evil spirits in this country. What you'll be hearing is God wants me to have jets. So I'm going to use a different word. I'll be going on, going for, I'll be using well-being and what? Good. Well-being, good. So the will of God for you is to have well-being, for you to be good. By contrast, let's look at the way the Bible talks about rich people in the New Testament. You know we've seen what the Bible says about well-being, isn't it? Now let's talk about what the Bible says about riches. That means having more money than other people. Let's look at what it says. Matthew chapter 19. Let's start from what the Lord said, what the Lord himself said. Matthew chapter 19 is a story of how a rich ruler came to Jesus and asked Jesus what he can do to have eternal life. Right? Hallelujah. In Matthew chapter 19, if you start from verse 16, you can see the story of what they need to do to have eternal life. And Jesus replied in verse 18 and said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, honor your father and all that and all that. And he said, I have done all that, what do I still lack? And in verse 21, Jesus now says, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you have treasures in heaven, then come and follow me. I want to show you what the Bible says about rich people now. It now says, sell all your property and come and follow me. And when the man heard this, he had, because he, when the man heard this, he went away sad. Because he had great wealth. So the guy was sad because Jesus said, She said, All this position and come and meet him. Then what did Jesus now say? Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Unequivocal. You know what this thing is to say? Is, uh, oh. Jesus said, It is difficult for rich people to enter heaven. 
We know the reasons why. I'm still going to talk about that in the future, right? So relax, all right? <laughs> relax. Just follow. But so the now says, again, I tell you, it is here for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 26, and Jesus looked at him and said, so the verse 25, the apostles now said, who can now be saved? <laughs> and Jesus now looked at him and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are what? Possible. So being saved with man is very difficult, especially for rich people. But with God, all things are possible. That means, even though it is hard, there is a way that Christian rich people behave themselves. There is only God that can help them behave like that. Psst, Did you hear what I just said now? I will elaborate going on in this series. You understand well. But the apostles now ask something. How can someone now go to heaven? Jesus now said, it is hard actually. Money makes it hard to enter heaven. And if you've ever had money, you understand what I'm saying. Even you that you've not even become rich yet. When they paid you at the end of the month, you know how your heaven um, consciousness. <laughs> but he says, it is, it is difficult. It's difficult. To, it's impossible for men. But with God... That means that there's a way that Christian rich people conduct themselves that, is, that makes it possible for them to go to heaven. We will talk about that later. But the point I'm trying to emphasize today is that we see Jesus' position towards rich people. That is difficult for them to enter heaven. Right? Let's look at Mark. Mark chapter 12. Verse 41. This, this is the part where people were giving in the church and were giving in the temple and then rich people were giving and Jesus now said that the person that was poor had given more than people that were rich. Do you understand that? So he now says verse 43 now says calling the disciples to him Jesus said truly I tell you this poor widow has given more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth but she gave out of her poverty in everything all she had to live on. Hallelujah. So when um, rich people give out of what they have is not as impressive as when a poor person gives out of what he has. Church, are we together? Do you understand what I'm saying to That's why it's an error to appreciate you come to church because a, a rich man gave one million dollars. You despise the one thousand naira of a poor woman. Before God, they didn't give the same. Let's continue. Look at Luke chapter 1. And if any of you have ever read the church fathers or read um, church history, one of the things that you will, ha- you will notice is that there was a serious richness phobia going on. Have you guys ever studied church documents before? There's a, there was a big richness phobia. You read that second, third, fourth century? There was a big richness phobia. Rich people, <laughs> if, you, if you are rich like this, yeah, church there is that. once you get it, that's why we don't know how to get it. You say, once you get it, like you're also going to sell all your property because if you are rich, you cannot go to heaven. No. <laughs> you will see the reasons why they were saying all those things. You will see. Look at Luke chapter 1 verse 52. <laughs> this is Mary, the mother of the Lord, according to the flesh. When she was prophesying, when the Spirit of God came upon her, she was prophesying. Look what she said. She said, he has brought, the verse 52 says, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away, what? Empty. Do you see that? Look at what something, the Lord said something, Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Verse 24. That's what the Lord said. The Lord said, But what to you who are rich? For you have already received your comforts. <laughs> the Lord said to rich people, He says, What to you who are rich? For you have already received your comforts. Verse 25. 
Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for this is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. <laughs> Jesus, now rich and rich and no keep us. Father in heaven, say I cannot enter heaven. Say what to me, Kinimoshi. Is it bad to be rich? This was why. You will see some things. This, you see the way I'm reading them. You will see. This is why the early church, it was to them. How can I have money? You guys, you saw Wednesday service now. How can I have money? And there are poor people in the world. You are, it's because you are not saved. If you are saved, you cannot have money and there will be poor people. Why give any? Sorry, for those that don't speak Yoruba. You will give. That's the way to show that you are really saved. Let's go on. You see some things. First Timothy chapter 6. Is Paul that is was, was not even nice to them at all. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. He says, Those who want to be rich will fall into temptation and a trap. And into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and what? Destruction. So if you want to be rich, don't forget what we describe as rich. I hope your mind is settling. You know, I'm not talking about well-being. I'm talking about what? Rich. Paul said those that want to be rich, those that want to have more money than other people, those that their desire is to be billionaires, he says, he was actually echoing what Jesus said. He was teaching what Jesus said in a different way. Hallelujah. He was saying that they will, this is the reason why it's difficult for them to enter into heaven. We'll explain more about it later. Because they keep falling into different kinds of temptations and into many foolish traps and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. That word destruction is what? Perdition. Into ruin and destruction. That's what wanting to be rich does to a person. It plunges people into perdition. Let's look at James. Apostle James. From chapter one, from verse chapter one, look at let's look at verse nine. He says, "Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position." So that means that the poor, humble circumstances that means that people in the lower socioeconomic class, believers who are in the lower socioeconomic class, you are not, you are not among the rich in your society. He says you ought to take pride in your high position. That means in Christianity, the poor are the words high. See you, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation. So that means for James, if you are rich, you are what? Humiliated. Since they will pass away like a wildflower, for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. What is it? Are you guys reading what I'm reading? Are you sure you're reading what I'm reading? This is Jesus, the Lord, the apostles, all of them, continuously bashing rich people. Look at chapter 2. Verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom? He has promised those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you to church, to, to court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of whom your words belong? Look at the way he equated being rich to being an unbeliever. He says when God saved people, it was the poor people that he saved. The rich ones among you are the ones that you understand. Because here he was talking about partiality. People that give rich people special treatments. That's what chapter 2 was talking about. James was saying, why will you give rich people special things? Don't you know that it was, it was poor people that God saved? You know this is the same thing that Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 
that look at all of you. How many of you were noble by human standard? How many of you were rich? How many of you were great? But God chose the poor among you to confound the rich. God, put, God chose the, the trenches among you. Look at chapter 5. James chapter 5. Apostle James really does not like rich people. James chapter 5 verse 1. He said, now listen, you rich people. <laughs> now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. <laughs> your wealth has rotted and moths have, have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like you have. I don't think I need to read anymore. You know, that's why. So you guys understand why I used to vex now. When someone comes and says, the will of God is for you to be rich. Or the God, Jesus died so that every Christian can be rich. It's like, you've not even, it's like, have you ever opened your Bible before? Like, How? this is why the early church we're going to look at some quotes later on you know don't worry just relax okay relax we are going on a journey we'll look at the way the early church guys at different centuries look at the way they talked about money this is why they were so persuaded that anybody because for you to be richer than other people it means that you must be doing things that is accumulating wealth to yourself the early church did not understand why you'll be accumulating wealth to yourself and there are poor people as the money is coming, you will be giving it out. So Paul said, um, James is now telling them that misery is coming upon you for you and rich. So the early church, when they got saved, their position, like look at, look at the way Gregory, Gregory of Nyssa and the way his siblings did. They were all rich people. You know what they did? They sold everything and created the first welfare system. They considered all those things done. In the early church, you don't come and boast that you are rich in the church. You know, that's why it's very funny the way we behave now. Where people are given special treatment and privilege in church because they have more money. Where there's a strong emphasis in the teaching on distinguishing the rich from the poor. You will notice something throughout the scriptures from the Old Testament to the New. Nobody was praised for being rich. Did you notice that? Go and check. Nobody was praised for being rich. What people were praised for was for doing the will of God. I'm going to take a little bit more time today, so please. You will notice that there is a decided de-emphasis on socioeconomic status. Very strong de-emphasis. Nobody, none of the apostles, the prophets talked about it. Rather, you will now find that God's disposition to us is about the quality of life we are living, the well-being in the purpose of God for our lives and not about how much money we have. Church, are we together? So this is why we say that Jesus did not die so that anybody can be rich or poor. Jesus died so that all of us can fulfill God's purpose for our lives. The socioeconomic outcome that comes from fulfilling the purpose of God for your life will be what? Different. That's why even before he died, the Lord already told us, some, the Lord, the master, gave some five. Gave some two. Gave some what? One. What we know is that the Lord will not allow you to be destitute. Even if it takes for him to send ravens to feed you. 
Even if it takes for him to send somebody to house you. Even if it takes him to send someone to put clothes on your back. He will not allow you to be destitute. Luke chapter 12. Let's open it. Luke chapter 12. What we see clearly is that God will never allow you to be destitute. But the socioeconomic position you will find yourself will vary based on where God has sent you to. This is the reason why Christians don't need to envy. There's nothing to be jealous about. This is why every kind of doctrine or system of thought that is subtle or glaring, that you make people aspire to having more money, is in itself evil. Because the aspirations of Christians is not to have more money. The aspiration of Christians is to do the purpose of God for their lives. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? It is the purpose of God for your life that you are following that will determine the socioeconomic bracket you will find yourself. That's why if, if God, the platform that God has made you, Dr. Femi, is to be a doctor, you don't need to be looking at tech bros that raise 5 billion naira and be saying, I want to be like you. For what? For what? If God has called you to be a missionary, and it will put you in the social economic bracket that is low because all your sustenance will be purely at the discretion and disposition of people's kindness to you. There is no need for you to look at the pastors in Lagos that have big auditoriums and those ones will be telling you if you are not rich, you have not entered certain levels in your ministry. This is why pastors are running away from the villages in the north and going to Abuja and Lagos to hammer. Because it's not about your social economic status. It's about the purpose of God for your life. It's about what God has called you to be. It's about what God, where God has placed you. This is the evil spirit behind everybody running to Canada. And this is not sweet, so I can explain myself well. This is the evil spirit under it. You are just going for greener pastures. Are you a goat? Are you a sheep? Your life is more than this. Literally, Jesus, Jesus we'll do it now. Your life is more than that. You are worth more than sheep. It's sheep that are looking for the grass is greener. What God has put inside of you is to go where, not where the grass is greener. You are going where God has called you to and make that place green. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Who is your, who is your example for chasing after money? That's why this subtle thing that we do Kingdom financiers, but none of you here should use that statement, right? Because I know the evil it leads to. People that don't understand can use it, but you, you know better. When you say I am chasing money to do the will of God, you are using sophistry to cover your greed. You are deceiving yourself, but you are not deceiving us. Because if you say I am chasing money to do the will of God, the question I will ask you is this. What determines the choices you make? Because when you tell us that you are chasing money, I want to make money, I want to be a billionaire so I can do the will of God. What you are telling us is that your decision making is what will make you a billionaire before you do the will of God. But you cannot serve God and mammon. If it is the billionaire that you want to become that is determining your decisions, you are worshipping money. Do you understand the sleight of hand? That's why you will never see anywhere in the scriptures where he says, make it your ambition to be rich. He said, even if, in fact, you that want to be rich, you are going to hell. Rather, what you should say is that I want to do the will of God. 
Have you ever seen God sending someone and not taking care of the person? Have you ever seen a time that God will send someone to do his purpose and he will not provide what is needed? So why are you coming to tell us that you need to make money to do the will of God? Are you telling us that God does not know what he's doing? Are you telling us that God is unfaithful? Did God ask for your help? Show me where he asked for your help to finance the kingdom. Show me. Show me. You want to chase money, you are saying it's for the kingdom. If I don't slap you, as if it's not you that will be driving the jet up and down. And be entering the first class. Is it not you that will Is it you know you that will take your children to two million naira per term school? Is that the kingdom? Telling me you are financing the kingdom. Which kingdom are you financing? When did God tell you that he had a problem financing the kingdom? When? At every point in time, what is required for the preaching of the gospel in a place, God always supplies. If it is two legs that are needed, God will supply supernatural strength to the legs to work out the worker that is needed. When? Even in the Old Testament when there was famine, God made birds to bring, God made birds to bring food to take care of the minister. Imagine Elijah said, I cannot do ministry because I'm too poor. I'm working with only two legs. I need to go and get chariots so that I can move around Israel very well. Holy. Go and do what God has sent you to do. God will take care of you. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Go and do what God has sent you to do. God will provide. Don't come and tell me I'm chasing billions so that I can do the will of God. Did God ask for your help? Did you see any of the apostles saying that? Even Solomon did not say that. Even Solomon did not say, God, make me rich so I can be a good king. He said, God, I want to be a good king. Then God said, I will give you the money that will help you to be a good what? Do you understand the English I'm speaking to you now? Luke chapter 12. From verse 13. We're going to read it to the end. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus said, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? This is another thing. Let me just do a small segue here for apologetics. When Jesus asks questions like this, he's not saying, I'm not your judge. Didn't the Bible tell us that he's going to judge the living and the dead? Didn't the Bible tell us he's going to judge the living and the dead? So when he's asking them that question, he's not saying, I'm not the judge. The same way when the rich young ruler called him, um, good rabbi and he says um, who is good is there anybody that is good he was not saying I'm not a good God because he himself now called himself a what good shepherd he was not saying I'm not good he was asking them a question to make them understand what the if they understand the implication of what they are saying do you understand that so when Jesus is saying here that who appointed me judge and arbiter he is the judge of the whole world he was not asking you because it's you that will make him the judge he was asking him if you understood the meaning of what you were saying do you understand that because I know a Muslim will still ask you when you go and do ministry see but Jesus said he's not good. Show me. Jesus actually said he was good in John chapter 10. Okay? Now let's read. Verse 15 now says, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of what? Possessions. Your life does not consist in the abundance of your what? Possessions. That's why people did not understand but it is a very evil statement. You might have said it sincerely, but it is an evil statement to tell God's people that if you are not rich, you cannot carry up his name. You don't know the meaning of what you have said. If Jesus should catch you, if Paul should catch you, that if you are not rich, have you, have he, he, so if, you don't, if you're even worse than Calvinist. In terms of God's, do you understand what I'm saying? Because what you're now telling us, no, sorry, is the Armenians you are worse than. 
Because what you're now saying is that God is not even the one that lifts up his name. It's money that lifts up God's name. You don't know the meaning of what you are saying. <laughs> Father, have mercy on us. Verse 16. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Then he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. So God blessed this man and he had plenty of money and harvest. Verse 18. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and, big build, uh, and build bigger ones. Then I will store my surplus grain. And I will say to my, myself, you have plenty of rain laid up for many years. Take life, easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be to whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. So that means that any man that is focused is how he will enjoy in this world. God is actually free to take your life for that sake. Look at it, now it says, then he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or, what, or about what you will wear. But you now tell someone that worry about being a billionaire so you can do the will of God. Jesus said the opposite. Don't worry about that. He says, for life is more than food and body more than clothes. Everybody wants to run to Canada just for food and clothes. No other reason. I just want to go to Canada for food and clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than birds? Who of you are worrying by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the wildflowers, how they grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Do you see that? Do you, are you reading what I'm saying to you? Are you reading it? Right? It says, and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all these such things. Your father knows that you need them. He says, do not set your heart on these things. That is the implicit danger in this whole kingdom financial talk. What is your heart set on? What is your heart set on? So many evil flows from that statement of thought. So you are, when you would stand say, I want to be a king of I want to be a billion to do the world, you now make it sound like as if until you have money, you cannot do the will of God. When God has put something in your hand for you to do right now, do you think the one you are doing now while you are poor is going to be less than the one you will do when you are rich? Do you understand what's going on here? What do you think the purpose of God is safe? What's even the first question? What do you think the purpose of God is? Do you think that it's about buying LED screens in the church? Or buying Italian marble? For the church auditorium? Do you think that's what the will of God is? Verse 31. But seek his kingdom. And this thing will be given to you as what? Well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven. They will never fail. Where no thief comes, where no thief comes, near, no more destroys. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be, what? Also. So this is what's going to lead me to the next part of the series. I'm going to, I'm going to teach on a Sunday next week. Jesus now tells us, it's not about your socioeconomic status. The life of a man is not in the abundance of the things that he has. Rather, follow God's plan for your life. Where your heart, treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Where is your heart? If your heart is on God's kingdom, right? You will not need to have billions or need to make money to do it. Where you are right now, you will start doing it. Then God will fund what he has sent you to do. 
He says, seek ye first the kingdom and all these other things will be added as well. It's not so that all these things will be added as well. Because do sparrows seek the kingdom? This was the problem with what Eliphaz said. Do sparrows seek the kingdom? Do lilies and wildflowers, do they seek the kingdom? Does God not provide for them? Does that mean, so why we, and he now says your life is more than their own. Why will God be waiting for you to give him something before he takes care of you? So he now says, instead of you worrying, I'm taking care of those things. Instead of you worrying about those things, don't worry. Calm down. Do what I have sent you to do. Seek the kingdom. I will take care of the what? Rest. That's why you cannot, that's why this kingdom financial talk is funny. What God is sending you is not to go and make money so that you can do the will of, will of God. What God is sending you is to go and do his work and I will take care of. Do you understand now? What is the kingdom of God? And that's what we're going to start from next week. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to take a little detour and talk about the purpose of God for our lives. He says, verse 9. He says, this is how, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in what? Heaven. The kingdom of God is the will of God to be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's something that God wants done. There's a preferred will that God wants done. Jesus said you should seek that thing. He will take care of the rest. What is that thing for us? I'm going to talk about that. You will now see how it should influence our attitude towards money and riches and all that stuff. Hallelujah. So be patient. We'll continue next Sunday. God bless you. Can you bow down your head and let's pray, please? I'm just about to ask us to give God thanks. I want to deliberately give God thanks. God will take care of you. God will take care of you. You need not be afraid of the things of this world. God will take take care of you. He will never leave you destitute. You will never lack what you need to do his plan for your life. At every point in time, you will have what you need to do the purpose of God for your life. You will always have more than enough to do the will of God for your life. You will always have more than enough to give to do the will of God for your life. I want to deliberately give God thanks. Thank God for freedom from the love of the world. Thank God for freedom from attachment to the things of this world. Thank God for liberty. And thank God for his divine provision. Thank him because he will provide. Thank him because he will provide. Thank him because he will provide. I have a word in my heart for you. Can you just lift up your hands and let's pray together. The Lord will open your eyes to see the way he has provided for you. Before now, because of anxiety and unstableness, God has provided things and you cannot even see them because your eyes are set on things that are too high, things that are unnecessary. But now, as you know the will of God, as you begin to focus on God's plan for your life, your eyes are open to see the provision that he has made for you. You will find that every time you want to do what you are meant to do, there will always be provision. Listen to me. I pray for you from the bottom of my heart by faith that whenever you want to do what you're meant to do there will always be more than enough in the name of Jesus whatever you need at every point in time to be who you are meant to be in Christ there will be more than enough provided God will open your eyes and you would not ignore the fountains in the desert that he has made for you like the eyes of Hagar and Ishmael were open in the desert and they did not see it before I pray for you that your eyes will be open to see the fountains in the desert. Your eyes are open to see the fountains in the desert. 
you will drink and you will be richly supplied in the name of Jesus Father we give you thanks thank you for listening to this message we hope you were blessed for more updates on our programs and audio messages follow us on Twitter Facebook and Instagram at this excellent church God bless you